are listening to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a ministry of Foothills Christian Church in Boise, Idaho. I am Jesse Mayer, your host, and today we will be digging into Philippians chapter 3 as we discover more biblical principles on happiness. Do you want to be happy? To live in joy? Do you know what real joy is all about and where it comes from? These are the things we are digging into as we study the book of Philippians. So let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> well, greetings and salutations, everyone. I'm really glad that you are joining me today. We're going to discuss a lot of really uh, big, important things coming from Paul's teaching in Philippians chapter 3. So on Tuesday, we kind of dug into Paul's letters um, from Philippians chapter 3, where he discusses the issues of confidence. You pointed out that confidence and happiness are strongly linked, and therefore, according to Apostle Paul, if we develop and grow our confidence, then our attitude of joy will also grow. Uh, That's correct, and the most important part of Paul's words to the Philippians is that our confidence can only grow if it is placed in the right thing. If it's built on the right foundation, and this is about identity, that that internal deep seated core belief of who you are and what it means to be alive or a human being. So when you're talking about identity, you're referring to what we truly believe about who we are and why we're here on this planet, right? Yeah, it's about belief. And as I said before, what you believe uh, particularly about yourself, is one of the most important things about who you are. In your core, this is where all of our thinking comes from, our behaviors are influenced by, and it's about uh, basically how you define what makes you a human being. And I think this is the battle that we see raging around us in our society today. So what difference does it make if a person wants to define their existence in a way that's different than you or me? It's a free country. Let them do what they want. <laughs> well, this is true. That, that's an excellent point. But let me counter and get everybody to think about this. Where does the notion of it's a free country, do what you want, come from? See, that underlying principle You've adopted and I've adopted, those listening have adopted, but ultimately where does that come from? See, in every nation that adopts the definition of what it means to be human and say that uh, from a, a, a non, I would, I would say a non-biblical worldview, uh, what happens is human liberty and freedom are taken away. And this is not a right-left thing. It's not a conservative, progressive, Democrat, Republican thing. In Nazi Germany, which was a, you know, people consider a right-wing fascist country, in Mussolini's fascism in Italy, they took away all human freedom and liberty, highly controlled society. Uh, In socialism, communism, which are leftist and progressive ideologies, they took away all human freedom and liberty. So it's, it's not a political statement. It is a philosophical statement. And it's basically history shown us every nation that adopts a definition of what it means to be a human being that is different than a biblical worldview, which, by the way, is written into 
the Declaration of Independence in the preamble uh, by our founding fathers ends up taking away human freedom. So the notion of it's a free country, do what you want, only comes from one perspective. You cannot take the tree of freedom. You cannot take the tree of liberty. Uh, and that is giving people the liberty to do whatever they want out of the soil of how we define what it means to be a human being and then have it live. It will die. It will not live. There will be no fruits of liberty. This is the lesson of history. Well, that seems pretty serious. <laughs> um, oh, I'm so serious. <laughs> I mean, I guess on a practical level, what does this mean? What, how does this principle impact me as an individual? Well, I think to start off with, first and foremost, I'm really heartbroken of what is happening to young people. And when I say young people, I mean people who are under 40 years of age. Look at look at the provable facts of what's happening in a general sense. Over the last 50 years, our society has attempted to define human identity on a postmodern neo-Marxist framework. Uh, this came out of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory. Most people think Marx's greatest influence is communism right he wrote the communist manifesto uh, which is basically a societal structure uh, to remove the problems of human nature as he defined them okay but in reality that was not his biggest influence his biggest influence was he redefined what human identity actually was which allowed him then to postulate this social construct called communism but um and that really in essence was that human beings are purely defined by social structure so your identity is found in your place in the societal structure in which you were born so that's interesting i didn't know that <laughs> um, truthfully yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess a, sin, a simple change of definition with massive impact. Is yes, kind of what it really yes, it, it's to. very simple, though, in, in its understanding. It means to be a human being, it is defined by societal structure. Therefore, if I focus on changing societal structures, then I can change human beings. They're very malleable, and, they, and you can do pretty much anything with them. But back to the main point of happiness and why I'm heartbreaking over, heartbroken over what's going on for young people today is that even though, and th these are provable facts, we have become more affluent, more wealthy, more healthier, we have more opportunity, we have more access to entertainment than in the history of the world. And I mean that, in the history of the world, but at the same time in America, we become more unhappy than ever before. People under 40 uh, chart themselves as being some of the most unhappy people on the planet who live in America. How in the world does that happen? Well, these trends are provable and the conclusion is clear. The basis on which people are building identity is making them unhappy. You know, and this is why Paul's teaching is so critical here. He's saying you have no confidence in life because the foundation for your reason of existence, what, why you, how you define what it means to be a human being, you've never thought through, you've only been programmed to believe something, and now you are incredibly unhappy, you're, you're filled with despair. The outcome philosophically of, of uh, postmodern neo-Marxist thought is nihilism 
which is basically meaning despair. There's really no reason to live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter in the end. I can't imagine a more unhappy way to live. Well, and on Tuesday, you mentioned that one of the places that this philosophy is presenting itself is in the LGBTQ plus um, discussion that's going on right now. What did you mean by that? (laughs) Well, here's where it can get pretty salty. We are prepared. (laughs) Well, first, let me lay down a little context about Foothills Christian Church. Okay, back in the 90s, HIV had just come out. Uh, It was ravaging uh, the homosexual community in America. And they they were not, you know, the therapeutics for it, the capacity to to deal with it were off the charts. Uh, One of the guys that I went to college with, he was in a circle of friends that we were very close with. There was five of us and he uh, struggled with uh, uh, bisexuality, homosexuality. He contracted HIV and uh, he chose to stop taking his therapeutics. And so he di- he died of AIDS. Mm. Um, this was just not quite 20 years ago. And uh, but back then, you know, the church's position on this is. In 1996, we hosted, Foothills Christian Church did, the first HIV-AIDS conference in the Treasure Valley, or actually in the state of Idaho, for churches and Christians to talk to try to just inform people about what it was. And the main reason why we did that is because we were concerned. There's so much misinformation out there. There was a lot of people saying a lot of things. Just trying know. to bring clarity we're trying to bring clarity yeah you know and and during that time i think it's true is that if someone was uh in the homosexual lifestyle where they're gay or lesbian people were like if they were family members or whatever they just you know what i'm saying it's kind of like covid today you know you you know i love my grandkids but i'm not going to be around them because they could give me covid or there was just all this fear going on and people forget it especially like at the beginning of covid we dealt with the same thing we didn't understand it so it was so much more and people just yeah just overreacted there was a lot of division and that was going on back then in the 90s and so we hosted this conference we brought in some experts on this and and uh uh it was very uh enlightening secondly uh since then uh there was a clinic for a number of years it's not in existence anymore but it was called the matthew shepherd clinic and it was formed for people who had been diagnosed with hiv and people who uh were were in the homosexual lifestyle whether they were gay or lesbian and what we did as a church is we supplied food clothing and even shelter for people who were clients of this clinic and we worked very very closely with them as a matter of fact uh when we moved in this uh, current address right here uh, there was discussions. They had lost the place where they were uh, working out of. And so they came and they wanted to uh, run, the run the clinic out of our facility. And we went really far in trying to get that out. But in the end, they decided not to do it. And the reason why is because we had a preschool and a lot of their clients uh, were convicted sex offenders. And so they couldn't they, they weren't allowed to come within, within 500 yeah. feet. And so it just logistically wouldn't work for them. Third, I think it's really important to understand there are a number of people in our church. Uh, I mean, a lot of people in our church who deal with LGBTQ plus issues in their lives every single day, whether they're dealing with it personally, right, or uh, somebody in their immediate family. So now why am I telling you all this? Well, I I tell you this is because everything I'm going to say next is in the context of that. 
And so I feel that we are a healthy community of people. We have a healthy capacity to love and accept people regardless of where they are at. And not only do we say that, we have a proven track record of it. It's proven. Uh, but the other side of it, too, is that we also have a proven track record of holding very consistently to what the Bible teaches on these things and why the Bible teaches them. And, and that's important because I, I see churches today basically doing one of two things. Now, this is where I get, you know, people are going to uh, hammer me for this, but it doesn't really matter because I like to say what I think. And that is, is that I've seen churches do one of two things. They become extremely rigid and legalistic about it, you know, and they, you know, take super strong stands against uh, people who are in this lifestyle or they do the opposite and they say, well, we don't care. It doesn't matter. We just love everybody. Love is love and blah, 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 you know, that kind of a thing. And I, I think both of those are not really what I would consider a pure biblical response to this. And it's very, it's very divisive in our society and our churches, but even more so in our culture. Case in point, um, th- we've w- seen a massive cultural shift very recently, just I mean, it happens super fast. And that is in 2008, California, which is considered one of the most progressive states in the United States of America, you know, with New York and, and Hawaii and so forth. They passed Prop 8 in 2008. So that was 12 years ago. And around 70 percent of the population said, you know, we don't support same sex marriage. You know, uh, it's not that we don't, you know, if people want to create partnerships and legal things and be recognized. And yeah, you can do that. That's not a problem, but it's not actually marriage. Well, then the, the, their court overturned it. And then in 2016, the Supreme court gave the right for same sex marriage to everybody in the United States. So now you and I have the right to marry somebody of the same gender. So it was, so it, that's a poor distinction to make from from a legal standpoint is that they extended that to all Americans. Then in 2018, right, people were being fired and businesses prosecuted for not participating in same sex marriage ceremonies. And I have a list of 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 documentation of people who were fired from jobs, people from Kodak we found in the military during the Obama administration, they passed the thing where uh, chaplains were uh, brought up on charges and dismissed. Uh, there's, uh, you know, other people, uh, non, uh, non-coms were, uh, uh, had their, their uh, records tainted by officers who, because they didn't hold the uh, I believe in same-sex marriage thing. So they were persecuted for their religion and persecuted for their freedom of conscience. Uh, and that was in, in 2018. We all know about bakers and photographers and florists and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And so the media made sure we knew about that. Yeah, they made sure we knew about that. And and then what's interesting now in 2019 and 2020, all major corporations, all the top Fortune 100 companies participate in LGBTQ Pride Month. Uh, they send employees to sensitivity training if they don't support the LGBTQ plus issues. And so what we saw is. In California, one of the most liberal states, people were like, hey, it was a live and let live. 
kind of a thing, uh, but we don't think we should redefine marriage, to now, if you don't believe what we believe, we will get you fired, we will get you canceled, we will destroy your company, we will, we will take you to uh, 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 sensitivity courses and force you through this stuff if you want to keep your job. That's pretty massive. That is a very massive cultural shift in really like a short period of yeah, time. 12 like, years. I mean, 12 years in the grand scheme of things is very quick for something this yeah. drastic to have shifted. Um, how was it able to happen so quickly? Well, the foundation for this massive change was seeded into our culture in the 60s. And it started with the sexual revolution. And then by redefining the meaning of what it means to be a human being, a postmodern Marxist social construct allowed for this general trajectory of cultural shift. And we're going to see a lot more of it. You add to it the Marxist ideology of cultural hegemony and you have your answer. You know, it's really that simple. You say simple, but I understood maybe a couple of those <laughs> phrases that you used at the end. Marxist, Marxist ideal. Will you just clarify? <laughs> well, in Marxist ideology, uh, there was another guy that came along by the name of Gramsci. Um, a shout out to Steve Ford for sending me a really great article on that. Is uh, is the, the idea in Marxist ideology is to create a cultural hegemony or hegemony. And hegemony is the Greek word for lead and guide, lead to guide. And basically what it is, is we'll decide what's culturally acceptable or not. And this is where cancel culture comes from. And so if you don't say what we want, then your words are violent. Your words are hateful. Your words are, and this is the way they control people. And uh, it doesn't matter what your politics are. I don't, I don't think it doesn't matter if you voted for Joe Biden or, or, or Trump. What you do notice is that Joe Biden was projected in all polls, all polls to be double digit lead. OK, and what we're seeing now is it's still not settled. It's going through the legal process as it should, because it doesn't matter what anybody says in America. You're, you're not the president-elect until the votes are certified, and that doesn't happen and usually till that first week of December. When the Electoral College actually meets. When the Electoral College actually meets, yeah. And so, unfortunately, most people don't in America don't know this because our public education system does not teach civics anymore of how our government actually works, which I'm an extreme critic of that. And if you're a teacher out there and if you care about America, then you should demand that the curriculum in your school includes civics, which is basically how the government works. And that would create less division uh, almost anything else. Because people, people would under, actually understand what's going on as opposed to just listening yeah. to what, what they the hear, what the media is, is telling them. On. Yeah, they're like, oh, wait. No, this is how things work. This isn't some big yes. stealing the election thing. It's literally just this is how the, the these are the rules of the game. And, and, and that that what that would do is that would increase people's confidence, because I'll tell you what, uh, the quickest path to civil war in America is for a, a half of the country to not believe that we had a fair election. It doesn't matter on which side. It's really interesting because that, that it was that way when President Trump was elected back in 2000, Trump, uh, Gore, Bush, now this. And the, 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 you know, 
right and left are fighting about this right now and I'm, I'm not happy about that but i think what's m critical is that somebody start believing in uh, I, I think people believe in america I, I should rephrase that i should say what people should be is let's watch out for the integrity of america by protecting the process right because that will help everybody have more confidence but but basically in Marxist ideology, back to the notion of cultural hegemony, is that, that they, they try to impose what's acceptable or not on everybody. And that's where all cancel culture comes from. It's a destruction of liberty. It's a destruction of freedom. And what it is is we will culturally shame you into being what we want. And the reason I brought up the election is that the, the polls predicted this, but it's so close, right? And the reason it's close is because a massive amount of people refused to tell the media and to tell pollsters how they were actually going to vote. Right. Okay. Even though they're, they're, what the information they were giving was what? Anonymous. But they still didn't trust them. They still didn't do it. Why? Because a, people in the media are trying to create a cultural hegemony. At work, you're, it's, they're trying to get you to create a cultural hegemony. Right now, people are saying that we should take the names of people down who voted one way or the other, supported one candidate or the other, and tell their employers so their employers could terminate them. I mean, this is absolutely absurd. I don't, th this sounds like, you know, Mao's cultural revolution in China. Yeah. This sounds like what the Soviet Union did in Russia. I'm like... The, the, the American people, uh, Republican and Democrats and independents should rise up with one a voice and say, this won't happen. You guys are wackadoodles and you're allowed to quote me on that. OK, so that that's what all this is about. So I'd love to get into it more, but that's another day for the salty pastor on how cultural hegemony works. What we need to focus on is why it's so divisive within the church right now. This issue of uh, homosexuality. I don't I don't have you know, we don't have time to address transgenderism because that's totally different than gay and lesbian issues. And the notion of bisexuality, polyamory, uh, queerness, all these things um are totally different they are not the same people who lump them together are conflating the issue and they're making a categorical uh fallacy well even the phrase lgbtq just kind of lumps all of those together when right. really they should just be their own individual their own their things. own different things so let, let's let's look at why paul's teaching in philippians 3 is so important because what he says over and over again is if you want to be happy you you need to build your confidence and that means putting your identity in Christ in Christ alone. So here's why there's a division between gay and lesbian folks um, and, and people in the church. And this is how I would define it. All right. People who truly know Jesus, not people who are cultural Christians or people who know a lot about Jesus, but people who have actually come to know him in a redemptive relationship are in what they do is they have built an identity all right. Around something in this world other than Jesus and Jesus confronted that and they confronted that and they were redeemed from it. So Jesus specifically teaches that we can only find freedom, peace, human fulfillment, reach our potential, abundant life, happiness and joy by knowing who we are and what we are meant to be in him and him alone. 
He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the gate. And so it's in him. And so people who know Jesus, uh, when we know him and we know the truth and we know that he, the truth, will set us free, and then we hear anyone making a declaration of building their identity around something else other than Jesus Christ, we kind of chuckle to ourselves, right? Uh, and we chuckle to ourselves by saying, look, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. It right. just didn't work. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and the principle then, the biblical principle that Paul's pointing out and for people who know Jesus in a redeemed relationship is this, is it doesn't matter what it is. You're still trying to build your identity on something else other than Jesus Christ, you know? And this is why the Bible uses a very general term called idolatry. And what and, and when you read the Old Testament and you read all of the idols that the uh, read about all the idols that the Israelites were always bringing into is the nation of Israel. And Judah, what, what people don't realize is all those idols were fertility cult idols. They all had to do with sex. And so one of the biggest thing is our sexuality is one of the places where we are, you know, number one pun intended, we're most passionate about. <laughs> the dad jokes are real also on the salty pastor. Yeah, the salty dad joke right there. But but that's also the place where we can get the most confused uh, quickly. So, so when someone says to me, this happens in our church, it's happened to other people, they come in and they say, Pastor, you know, I, I, want, I want to know what you think about this because God made me this way. Uh, as a person who's been redeemed by Christ, um, I know and I understand a simple truth, and that is, no, God didn't make you this way, okay? You just think he did. You believe that in your heart of hearts. I understand that. But someone has convinced you that God made you this way. My question is, who convinced you? How do you know? Right. See, that's the real question. Who convinced you? You may have convinced you. And I can tell you this. I've convinced myself of a lot of things over the years. <laughs> and the one nice thing about age is you kind of figure out how often you were wrong about what you would convinced yourself to be true. <laughs> that's why I like to say, as I get older, I need Christ more, not less. Right. I don't have this figured out. I just need a lot more of Jesus because I'm learning so much about who I am in Christ. So I want to know who is the one who convinced you that God made you this way? Is it God? So if you're going to say, yes, God convinced me, then you need to show me objectively, not from your own perspective, but objectively, how did God convince you that's true? Because what I hear most often when I ask the question, how do you know this to be true, objectively true about you? Um, they say, because I know it in my being. And my response to that is, well, if you've been trained in the postmodern way of thinking, that's what you're going to say, right? Because my truth, my narrative is more important than anything else. Now, I'm saying this out of a heart of, look, I want you to be happy and I want you to be filled with joy. But you've convinced yourself that your identity of who you are is wrapped around something that is not Jesus. And that's not that is not a way to find pure 
unadulterated joy in your life. So the, the people of Jesus are always saying this, I believe, and this is the message I've heard coming out of the church, at least Foothills Christian Church for the last 25 years, is we want you to know Jesus. We just don't want you to, we, we want you to know Jesus, not just know things about him. Okay? And this isn't going to happen if you maintain an identity built on something else rather than Christ and Christ alone. I cannot imagine a more loving, more accepting, or more sensitive approach to anything any person is dealing with in their lives. So that's kind of, I think, what the people of God. Now, what we have to, though, if we're going to be intellectually honest, is how do most people who are struggling or working through or have built their identity, they've exercised their freedom, right? Right. How do they hear what we say? We have to be honest and say, this is probably how they hear what we say. Um, and, and not all, but a, a big chunk, at least the activists and the leaders of the movements. Uh, there's a whole group of them. Uh, if they're building their identity around their sexual orientation, in other words, they are sexually excited, they're sexually attracted, sexually engaged, and from their own perspective, they're fully alive when they are sexual and intimate with people of the same gender. So there's a group of people who are participating in that and they're building their identity around that. And so they use the thing, I am lesbian or I am gay, or that's kind of what they, they, they use that as a statement. In America, it's very important to understand. And in the world under God's sovereignty, you have a right to do that. God gives you the right to choose what you will build your identity upon. In other words, you have the freedom to choose anything you want. That's called free will. So when a person chooses to do this, make no mistake, you choose what to build your identity upon. Okay. This is your sovereign act as a human being. So if a person says I'm gay, if someone says I'm, I'm I say to them, it's a, the way I perceive it is, this is their sovereign act as a human being. And God has given them this freedom to do that. And so they're exercising their own sovereignty. I don't have any uh, uh, problem with them exercising their sovereign act. So, but it's really important to understand. So when they hear me say, look, the behaviors that flow out of the choice that you've made about on what to build your identity interfere with knowing Jesus completely, then this is what I think they're going to hear, okay? And how do I know that they're hearing this? Because it may not have been that issue, but it was certainly a lot of other things for me in years past, right? So, so in, a, in some ways, we're, we have so much in common as human beings. You know, we're not as different as you want to say we are. Because we're, making, we're all making choices. Yes, we are all making those choices. And so, but this is what they hear. When, they, when I say, look, You've made a choice to build your identity around this. And this choice is going to interfere with knowing Jesus completely. And that's going to interfere with your happiness and your joy. I think this is what they hear, right? They hear, uh, you reject me because what you're actually saying is I'm not a human being. And, and so it makes sense to me that people who build their identity on their sexual orientation feel rejected by people like me, right? The question is, I, not the question, but the thing I don't think they can hear in which 
you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to let them off the hook for this. I'm not going to do it. They're responsible. You know, if you come to me and you say, hey, I, I'm gay and da, 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 I disagree with you. And I go, OK, I'm going to treat you like an adult. I'm going to treat you like a human being. If you have the freedom to make that choice, but then to sit around and try to say I'm hating you because of that is irresponsible. It's, it, and it's intellectually dishonest. It's the same thing you would say to someone if they came in and said, I'm cheating on my wife. You would say you've made a choice and this is not in line. It is not that you're saying that they are less than human because they went and cheated on their wife. Right. You are giving them the same response, but people that have built their identity on their sexual orientation mm-hmm. tend to, when they are so focused on that, hear only you are rejecting all of me. And it's like, yeah, oh, this is a choice you've made, just like right. anybody and else that comes into my office that says I'm struggling with this issue. Because what they hear is, because see, what, what they would say is that, well cheating on your wife is morally wrong but same sex committed relationships are not morally wrong so what you're doing is you're you're a bigot because you're equating what i'm doing as a moral wrong and it's not a moral wrong like lying or stealing or cheating and so uh, that's their argument um but the response to that is, well, you your belief then is that God is just a moral cop. And so you're trying to change categories. That's called a category fallacy in logic. And you don't address the issue. And the issue is, is that you're building your identity around something right. Right. Other than Jesus Christ. And if you're going to do that, then you have to prove how Jesus, right, has revealed to you objectively that that's true. And no one I know and had a conversation with, no one I've read, no research, no essayist, no leader in the LGBTQ has ever been able to answer that question at all. I mean, they don't even address it. They avoid it because they know logically that's where their entire case falls apart. So this is why I think the issue is so divisive is because you know, people who are building their identity on their sexual orientation are demanding that people who don't think like them must think like them. They're saying it's not enough for you to tolerate me. You have to agree with me that the Bible teaches and God made me this way and it is morally right to do so. Mm. Um, so that is a cultural hegemony. You know, that's what that is. It's a it's attempting to dictate what people think. And so you're violating the conscience, the clear conscience of other people. And that's an act of fascism. So if you're involved in the gay community, if you're involved in the lesbian community, if you're involved in one of these communities and you buy into this, then you are you are fighting against God's will of sovereignty of sovereignty that he's given to every human being to choose for themselves so right there you discredit your own argument right there so i think that's why it's so divisive and i think marxist ideology is constantly trying to create this cultural hegemony and i think it's going to continue to be a problem for us so we we really deep dived on this topic, but the point of Paul's teachings um, is related to this in that it's really that we are discovering our identity in Jesus and that that will create joy in our life. 
What do you think we as people of Jesus can do to help people discover their identity in Jesus? Well, I think we need to continue to discuss the underlying ideas where these originate from. That's where the discussions really need to take place and that have been driving our culture and driving these outcomes. Uh, case in point, you know, um, I, I was reading about a guy uh, his name is Michael Hobbs, and he's an author. He writes for the Huffington Post a lot, and he is an openly gay man, right? And he says, my identity is gay. And he wrote an article that really touched me, and he says, and this he called it the epidemic of loneliness. He said, for years, I've noticed the divergence between my straight friends and my gay friends. And, and you know, I saw this, too. And I think what's so funny is how this is a side note, how people today are just like, oh, these issues, you know, since 2016, when the Supreme Court did da, da, da. these issues have been around for centuries. Right. Yes. And when I was in high school, it was the talk of the town. You know, every, it was a big debate and it was constantly going on. And so I saw that some of my friends, you know, went into the gay lifestyle. Uh, there's, there's people in my family that are involved in that and these kinds of things. So these are common conversations, right? And this is what he writes for years. I've noticed a divergence between my straight friends and my gay friends. Half of my social circle disappeared into relationships, kids and suburbs. And the other has struggled through isolation, anxiety, hard drugs, and risky behavior. He goes on to say, uh, and he cites all these statistics for it. He goes, gay men everywhere at every rate, at every age, he writes, are 10 times more likely to commit suicide. He says homosexual males also suffer from higher rates of cardiovascular disease, cancer, allergies, asthma, a whole host of behavior related infections and dysfunctions. They're twice as likely to experience major depression and they report having fewer friends and they abuse drugs at an alarming rate. He says, in fact, if you live in a gay neighborhood, this is one of the greatest predictors of more frequent risky behaviors, methamphetamine use. And he just goes on and on and on. And he even then compares it to uh, nations over in Europe that adopted gay lifestyles and gay communities 20 and 30 years ahead of America. And he says, you know what you find? The exact same rates of drug abuse, suicide and so forth. He said in a situation in the Netherlands, he said, uh, is so bad that one respondent of a survey from an HIV clinic there said, it's not a question of knowing how to save their lives. It's a question of them not knowing if their lives are worth saving. This breaks my heart about these people. And this is what the world has done is lied to them that you can build an identity around who you are sexually attracted to your sexual orientation. And it doesn't matter how much you try to fulfill that. If you build your identity on that, listen to your gay brother who says it just doesn't work. It's an epidemic of loneliness. Well, and he's actually, so he actually hosts a podcast called You're Wrong About, and he's a very deep researcher. So yeah. he's a very intellectual person. So he, when he's citing all these sources, that's literally what he does. He's not just a HuffPost writer. He's yeah. a researcher. He's a so, researcher. So he's yeah. not just pulling random things off the internet. Like this is yeah. what he does as his thing is he's mm -hmm. a researcher. And so when he's saying, hey, this is lonely and it doesn't work, it's not we should him. listen to we him. We should definitely listen. Yeah. In, in, in logic, that's called an appeal to authority. And that is 
uh, and the, the reason I bring that up is because uh, some people are going to listen to this. I know we're a little longer today. You know, some people are going to listen to this and they're going to take what I say and they're going to take it out of context and they're going to try to, you know, use it to build a narrative about me or so forth. But uh, what I what I'm going to say to you is this, is that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is a power of salvation. And I don't care if the issue in your life is a gay identity, a transgendered identity, a queer identity, bisexual, polyamory, uh, lesbian identity. I don't care if it's a materialistic identity, a success oriented identity. I don't care if it's a relationship identity where you find you can only build an identity on your friends and your, your little tribe or your little group that will you know what was it John Lennon I'll, I'll get high and get by with a little help from my friends it doesn't matter what it is the bottom line is I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the most loving and compassionate thing for anybody to ever say to you because Jesus Christ is the author of love Jesus Christ is the creator of love Jesus Christ is the creator of your soul and when you came into existence there's only one thing that will ever quench the thirst of your soul and that is knowing Christ and Christ alone. Well, we just appreciate all of these amazing concepts, um, Pastor Doug, and we're glad that you guys stuck with us to the end. This is a little bit longer, but obviously this is a big issue that yes. we needed to unpack, so we wanted to take the time to unpack it correctly and make sure that um, everything is understood as far as the perspective. So um, we appreciate you guys joining us. Make sure you tune in Sunday um, where Pastor Doug will be preaching on our third week of Hashtag Blessed. We'll mm -hmm. be studying... Um, we'll be kind of wrapping up this section of Philippians we've been working on. Yep. It's all about identity, identity on Sunday. Yeah, and confidence. And confidence. So make sure you get that because that's kind of the third part of the Salty Pastor podcast <laughs> formula. Is you listen to the first two parts and then you wrap it up at the end with the sermon on Sunday. So thank you guys mm -hmm. so much, and we will see you on Sunday here at Foothills <laughs> Christian Church. Blessings, everyone.